Welcome to the Legally Sound Smart Business Show, your weekly look at legal news and questions in the business world. Here are your hosts, Nasser Pasha and Matt Stahl. All right, welcome to our podcast where we cover business in the news and add our legal twist to the podcast that we record. And my name is Nasser Pasha. Now, Matt Staub. Hey, I had something. Uh, I thought you would think this is funny. This is a good start to Friday. I, I saw this commercial. I, I, I'm already laughing. <laughs> I saw this commercial last night. It's not legal Zoom, but it's something like that. I forget the company, like incorporation.com or something. Good, good domain. Yeah. It's just like cheap filings for incorporating businesses. And their quote in here was, incorporating can be the difference between making a fortune and losing everything. Like, it didn't make any sense at all. So it's like, well, if you incorporate, you'll become rich. But if you don't, you're going to lose everything. It's like, incorporating is not going to depend on the success of your of your business. No, that's all you need to do. It's like, yep, I've incorporated. No, but there's, it's true. Like the, you know, businesses in general, or I should say business owners and entrepreneurs kind of, kind of put this, especially for the first time that they've formed an entity, it's almost like this unattainable or this kind of like, prestigious thing to incorporate and it kind of is because you know it's, it's the same thing of you know putting your shingle out for the first time and and entering into that business lease and basically making a commitment to your business so i understand that but then that kind of catchphrase is kind of uh exploiting that kind of sentiment for sure it can make the difference between making a fortune and losing everything yeah even if you don't have a good business model yeah and at the end entity forming is like I, I guess from a lawyer's perspective, it's different. But even even those business owners that have been in business for a while, it's it's a formality. It's just something that you have to go through. And in the sense, if you think about it from a legal perspective, it's almost a joke. Like, okay, just because I file this piece of paper now, I have limited liability. And what's up with that? You know, and the day before, I did not. It's kind of funny. But that's how the law works, and that's why it's pay us billion dollars to perform legal work for you. Especially if you're the in-house counsel for AT&T, because they might be in some trouble here. I don't think they're paying lo- their lawyer that much this time, but <laughs> because of this. I also assume they probably, I'm going to go on a limb and say they probably have more than one lawyer, but. Oh, they definitely did. I think they had eight, uh, was it 18? Yeah, 18 lawyers and assistants who basically messed up. Oh, that's the actual number? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, so they had this. You know, of course, they're probably in many involved in many lawsuits, some of which frivolous. But yeah, there's this patent infringement case, and essentially, they missed the deadline to appeal a jury verdict. So AT and T lost this case, and they were going to appeal. They had 30 days to do so, and they didn't figure it out till 51 days after. And yeah, so <laughs> they missed their opportunity, and now they're saying they could be on the hook for this 40 million dollar payment that was that resulted from. This lawsuit involved with two-way media LLC. Yeah, so let's break down how this exactly happened, right? Is that basically there's a, a, a docket notice that is sent out every time something is filed with the court. And as, you know, like any kind of index of anything, it's like a table of contents. All you see is the title or the very limited description of what the document is. If you want to read the actual order, then you just click on the link. Or if it's a state court, then you download the document or you're notified accordingly. Some of this is not electronic, but this this particular case was in, in the federal court. And so you click on the link and then you download the order and you actually read the order. So what happened here was... The order was mislabeled and it was, I guess it was a faulty court docket 
But if you actually read the order, it showed that the judge had denied the request to overturn the jury's verdict. And so therefore it's a final judgment. And when that happens, the losing party basically has a limited time to, to appeal. In federal court, it's 30 days. And so this is the issue is, okay, the 30 days passed, but then in fact, it was 51 days until one of the attorneys must have noticed they're like, oh, I think we need to uh, file this. And so of course the, the, the trial court said, no, you missed your deadline. And that's where we're at now. Yeah. And so they're, they are going to, well, I assume they're going to, but they can ask the panel of three judges that decided on this. I thought they said it was a jury verdict though. Yeah, it was a jury verdict they were asking to overturn. So there, there was a panel of three judges that ruled two to one in favor of, or and not in favor of them, saying that they couldn't go back and file past the deadline. But now I guess they can ask the panel to reconsider the decision. Yeah. Or request to be heard in front of all active judges. They can ask for a full panel, I think, because there was only this is only a three three judge ruling. Yeah, and then yeah, they can go to the Supreme Court too after after that. Which what do you think? I mean, usually, okay, this is my experience: is the court and the law are pretty lenient when it comes to you know excusable neglect of missing a deadline. In fact, for example, a classic one is that let's say you get sued. You have 21 days in federal court or 30 days in usually state court to respond. If you fail to do so, then the other party can default against you, enter into a default judgment, and basically collect as if they had won the entire lawsuit against you without you even showing up. And that's a risk. And that's why when you get served, what's the first thing you do? You call your attorney and you say, hey, I got, I got served with a lawsuit. What do I do? And you have a, that timeline gets, you know, starts to starts to tick and you have to respond. Now, if you miss that deadline, what happens? Is it automatic? Can you can you always go back? Usually the answer is yes. I'm not saying you should you should depend upon this. But in, in a lot of circumstances where, hey, you know, you miss this deadline, there could be an excuse. It's like it's like getting going late to class. It's like, hey, look, you know, I, I know I'm late. We're going late to work, you know, I, I, hey, I know I'm late, but, you know, I got a flat tire or whatever. And, you know, most people are reasonable because the judges are, are real people. And, and even the law allows some discretion in this. And so, but in this case, I don't necessarily feel bad for AT&T, but I understand how it works because you get a notice that says, oh, the, in fact, what did the notice say? It said that the trial judge had granted AT&T's request to seal some documents in the case. So it was mislabeled as AT&T winning some motion. And so it's understandable why they didn't necessarily read the entire details because what do they care? Because they, they won, right? They don't need to understand the details. So I don't know. What do you think about the judge's ruling in this respect? I, I'm fine with it just because it's just, I, I'm not a big fan of the constant appeal process anyways. So <laughs> that's true. I don't know if that factored into the decision of the judges, but... No, you're right. If it was a default judgment, it'd be a different story. Yeah, so you know, maybe they're, they're just thinking, well, if we let this happen, it's going to drag on for however many more years, and we know the, the ultimate result anyways. And I'm not, not saying that they should look at it that way, and hopefully they didn't, I guess, but I'm fine with this just because if you missed the deadline on this, it's... They actually used the phrase I used earlier in the week, too bad, so sad, in this article, <laughs> but... Uh, too bad, so sad. Well, yeah, they said that the, I mean, the trial judge, I think, well noted that AT&T had 18 lawyers on notice for this case. And so out of the 18, I think lawyers and assistants, so I'm not sure 
how many were lawyers, but 18 different people that missed this. And that's not great. You know, that's not a, that's not a good fact for them. And they weren't notified that it was corrected because the court docket notice was eventually corrected, but they weren't, they didn't get that notification. But I think you're right when it comes to the appeals aspect of it, it's a little, little bit different than the scenario I was talking about, because that is an automatic loss where in AT&T's position, they went through a whole trial. So the facts have already been decided. Yeah, not the, you know, like exactly what you said. Default judgment's going to be different. Nothing's even nothing's even happened at that point. So big difference from a full-on trial, jury trial that occurred and decision was already entered. And back on default judgments, not only the problem is that you'll automatically lose, all the facts are assumed to be true now. Yeah. You know, there's a website. It's like you got posted. It was like a revenge porn site of some sort that a couple of people sued them for, I guess, $450,000 each for two of the partners. And I don't know where that number came from, but that's what they alleged. And they got a default judgment against them. And now these two people have a $900,000 default judgment against them. And I, I guess it's against them personally. And unless there's, they find some way to overturn that default judgment, then they're pretty much stuck. Now compare that to if they fought the lawsuit from the beginning, a jury said that they should be found liable, and then they missed the 30-day deadline, that's a lot different because we've, they've already gone through that setup, you know, and gone through that trial. Yeah, I agree completely, so. Oh, you agree with the revenge porn site people? No, I agree with you. Oh, okay. <laughs> Don't try to trick me. So you're anti-revenge porn site then? Anti, yes. <laughs> I didn't make it too complicated. I, I didn't say like anti, anti. I'm hesitant to say yes or no because I feel like you're trying to trick me by wording things weird, weirdly and then I'll end up saying saying something. When you do use like three, a triple negative. And yeah. <laughs> and what, what do you think? I think these, obviously AT&T hired a big law firm to do this, but think about it. To me, every, every hour or minute that these lawyers are spending time to try to reverse this judgment, they're basically appealing the judgment of the trial judge that they are not allowed to appeal. And I think every minute, every dollar that is spent, or I should say every minute that these lawyers are spent on behalf of AT&T are probably free at this point, because it seems to be very clear that it's these attorneys that messed it up and missed this. Well, that's what I was thinking too, but I wouldn't be surprised if AT&T just had their own in-house counsel that you know, we're all made salaries, so they might not even... Well, think about this way, is that they did most likely hire an outside firm for litigation. I, I would suspect, but I'm, I could be wrong in that respect. But but I'm sure their in-house attorneys are part of these 18 people because they're going to be monitoring. The, so at the least, they have uh, AT&T employees on there. So you're right. I mean, there, there's, there's certain respect on that. But I think Whoever the attorneys, there's probably like two or three attorneys that are actually in charge of the case itself. I mean, they need to take responsibility. I mean, this is, on one hand, I understand how it happened and it's excusable, but on the other, it's, it's, it should be common practice to at least, you know, skim the uh, actual order. I think if they're able to appeal and successfully, you know, get this reversed, then all AT&T customers should be able to do the same if they're late paying their bill and use that as an excuse at least once. Good point. It's like, oh, I didn't see it. It was mislabeled as I thought it was uh, just an advertisement for AT&T. I like that idea. 
I'm not AT&T customer, but if I was, I would use that. I would purposely miss my bill payment and then call them back 21 days after it was due. I'm a Verizon customer. Yeah, so am I. I feel like Verizon's really good, but it, you, they charge you for it. You've heard my theory on this, right? No. For I, I don't know what kind of data usage you have, but we I have a joint one with my wife, and it's... Same here. Yeah, so we have a set amount. But we do the same thing pretty much every single month. My, my theory is this. Once or twice a year, Verizon just says you use more data than your limit, and then they make you pay the extra. It's not much. It's like 10 bucks, I think, for if you go over that month, which is you know nothing for one individual. But if they do it to every single customer once or twice a year, that adds up to some pretty significant amount of money there. It's a big, good class action if we can prove it. But I think there are a lot of instances like that. I mean, I think even grocery stores at one point, I remember in San Diego, all the Safeway affiliated grocery stores were being fined because their actual prices of the register were not matching their advertised prices by like, you know, cents or, you know, even more. And of course that adds up. Yeah. I've always wondered about that. There's two things I never, I always wonder about and never look into. One of which I could, one of which I can't. One would be Grocery store, like you just go and pay like whatever, and then you get a receipt and probably never look at, like you never compare the items that how they're priced to, you know, what you end up paying. Some people do, but I would think most don't. Actually, my, my mom used to, I don't know if she still does, but. Some people do. And she'd always catch something. She'd be like, oh, I was, I was charged twice for this item. And like, before we left the store, I'm like, mom, like, you don't have to tie. It's okay. It's like $2. The funny thing is if you do that and you're like, oh, this was supposed to be this price. A lot of times they'll just be like, oh, okay. And they'll change it like on the spot. Yeah. So the other one being filling your car up with gas, like how do you, there's no way to tell. You're right. Unless you got those gallon uh, tanks. Yeah. They're governed by the state and they're supposed to be inspected, but you can see that some, I'm trying to remember, I know some states actually put in the date that I was inspected. And I, I think that's, I think California does. I just can't, I haven't filled my gas there in a while, but, but sometimes it's, it's been a while. So, you know, who knows? It's all a scam. It's what you got to deal with. Well, that's why we're here. I mean, we're here to protect the public and, and uh, inform you about it. And that's why I think everyone should just give up gasoline. Stay away from it. Boycott it. No one would be able to go anywhere. <laughs> Can't fly anywhere. The gas stations would, would lose too, though. So it's a lose-lose situation. Well, the gas stations don't make money off of the actual gas. They make their money off of the convenience store. and They make some money, but you're right. Absolutely. So, okay. Well, thanks for joining us for today's episode of Legally Sound Smart Business. Uh, thanks for joining us. I don't even know what we've been talked about, but keep it sound and keep it smart. <laughs> this has been the Legally Sound Smart Business Show with your hosts, Nasser Pasha and Matt Staub. The Legally Sound Smart Business Show is your weekly look at legal news and questions in the business world. Legally Sound Smart Business is a podcast that is intended but not promised or guaranteed to be current, complete, or up-to-date, and should in no way be taken as an indication of future results. No attorney-client relationship is created by listening or submitting questions to the podcast. The podcast does not constitute legal advice, but rather is offered only for general informational and educational purposes. You should not act or rely on any information in the podcast without first seeking the advice of an attorney. The opinions expressed in the podcast reflect the views of those individuals and do not necessarily represent the views of any other individual or business. For more information about the Legally Sound Smart Business Show, visit LegallySoundSmartBusiness.com.